Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. We're back after quite a long period away. Had a lot on since the last episode and haven't had a huge amount of time to edit or get an episode out. Although I've got a few on the back burner at the moment. Still got no intro or outro music and also please forgive the track skips, uh, the recording skips a few times at the start. But today we are speaking with Commonwealth Games champion from Glasgow 2014. She's three-time national champion. And because it's been a long time since we recorded the episode, she's been back competing in Croatia in the last couple of weeks. Um, It's Ireland's Megan Fletcher. Hello, how are you? Thank you very much. Um, Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, Oh no, thank you for asking me on. You're a you're a podcast uh, veteran. I've I've heard your other one. It was a really great interview. <laughs> if people haven't heard, it's uh, the Tough Girl podcast, and you should go and look it up. It's it's really good. Um, but you should be an old hat at this kind of thing. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. So, could you tell us maybe for people who don't know, could you kind of talk us through about? how you got started in judo and then maybe some of the highlights of your career. Yeah, um, so I started judo when I was just five years old at Pima Judo Club, which I was like, very lucky that it was so close to my home. Um, it was only about 10 minutes away and it was a, was a really strong club. So I was basically told by parents I was going at age five and hated the thought of it. <laughs> so I threw tantrums pretty much probably the first month I got taken. <laughs> but... There's no kind of question in my my dad, particularly. So my three older brothers had all gone to judo, and I was just the next Fletcher to be put into the sport. So <clears throat> he um he really wanted me to do it. He really liked the like the lessons it taught you, and obviously kind of keeping you fit, being able to look after yourself a little bit. So he he really wanted me to, to join, and my mum had a, a passion for the sport as well. So yeah, I was just the next Fletcher in the in the line, and you guys that know me well will know my younger brother Ben is also in judo so the five five Fletchers all all did judo through Pinewood which is which is really nice for all of us to have gone through the same same club really awesome well I obviously spoke to Ben um last Mm. year and it's yeah it's I suppose it's interesting it is interesting um to hear that kind of you went through you you started judo for the exact same reason and your your whole family your your brothers and sisters your brothers were, were put through judo um as part of the uh being a Fletcher I guess yeah it is <laughs> pretty much yeah that's exactly that and they they were all very good as well like national champion level um but they also did motocross and they got to kind of like the teenage years and they kind of focused more on, on the motocross oh, wow. at that point yeah so they were like yeah three of them kind of were really really that very like wild boys the three of them <laughs> <laughs> they won't mind you saying um, that no they won't mind me saying that they know it <laughs> So yeah, they they went more down that route and kind of the judo fades out a bit really. Cool. But yeah, so me and Ben were just the next ones to join. So yeah, I was five and Ben was four when we started. I I didn't realise you're so close in age. I did think you were like two or three years older than your brother. Oh yeah, yeah. There is a gap, but like I mean, when yeah, so when I started, Ben was a couple. I think he started maybe a year or so after me, two years after me. Yeah, like there was yeah. But cool. What was it like at Pinewoods? Obviously. Um, Don Don Werner was the man who grew Pinewood and developed it into the club that everyone knew. Yeah. Um, 
what was it like that training experience for you so i uh, now when I, I look back at it I, I, at the time you know like how lucky you are being in an environment like that I think the system that he had in place to kind of bring tiny kids at five or four years old all the way up to people like Nicola Fairbrother, Georgina Singleton, Karen Roberts, uh, Olympic medalist, world medalist, European medalist like you could see every single person at the club is as important as anybody else so whether you're a five-year-old starting judo or you're someone who's an Olympic medalist, everyone he has the same same input, the same attitude, the same expectations of every single person. It never changes. Um, which at the time when you're young, you don't really realise like how, how amazing that is for someone to have that same attitude across the whole board, like at such a broad kind of age range as well. And I think for me and for anyone who's from Pinewood, you know there is a clear expectation that you are going to try your best every single session, every single competition. And if you don't, you're called out on it. And even when you start, when you're like really, really small, that expectation is there. And I think that's why a lot of pro players have that attitude. A lot of people in sport have that attitude, don't you? Like you try 100% all the time or otherwise what's the point in doing it? But I think he, as a, as a coach and as a person, like that expectation is set from the start, and there is no no swaying on that. It's very much like this is the way you're going to train. You put 100% in or leave. We're not interested. Kind of attitude. Um, okay. Is that is that what was exceptional about Pinewood? Because there are there are several like really well known mm. clubs in the UK, but I think. Uh, for, for judo, but across all sports, it's rare that you get a coach, a single club, take someone from beginner all the way through, as you were describing, to yeah, international level. Yeah, I think from, for me, and kind of the older you get and the more you see, you actually realise that for one person, like he was the only coach as well. There wasn't anybody else helping him, just him. Every single session was ran just by him. And it just, you just see then like how amazing it was that he did that by himself. And and also, like, he was completely honest. Like, he knew that the times were changing with judo. He knew that it, the club wasn't going to just be enough for someone anymore. Like, to be the top level, you had to train somewhere full-time. So he never he never tried to hold you back. If you kind of got to the point, so when when I got to about 16, 17, and I, re- I thought, I really want to give judo, like, my a good chunk of my life to this, and I want to try become an Olympian and like a world European medalist I want that's the level I want to get to I knew I needed to move somewhere so my decision was I moved to Bath but there was never a point where he was angry at me that I decided to leave he understood completely he he kind of nourished people he didn't hold you back does that make sense I think that's a really an amazing trait to have as a coach like especially because he'd had players in the past where he could do that being at the club was enough for them to be able to reach a top level, but he knew he was he was very much still in in touch with kind of what's happening in the here and now. He'd always we bring stuff back from competitions. If he saw something new, we'd work on the next session. He was always like making <clears throat> making changes, even though maybe the sessions as a whole were the same. Like he he was always trying to make things more current. He he realised that with the, with the way people were training as well. He knew that going to the club. Three, three times a week was not going to be enough for me anymore to get to the level that I wanted to. Um, but for a long time, I, I drove back twice a week from Bath to Pinewood 
just out of respect for him as a person because I didn't want to. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I've like maybe for the first maybe the first year and a half, two years, twice a week I I would drive back because I felt that I don't know you you have that connection to your club. And it's for Pinewood, it's such a strong connection. I didn't ever want him to feel that I was being disrespectful. That because I'd left to go and train somewhere else, I didn't still find or like believe that was my club. So I drive, but it kind of it got to a point where it was more beneficial for me to stay in Bath rather than drive back, just because quite a lot of the like older girls retired and left, and the dynamics of the club changed um, in terms of like the the age of the people that were there. So, but he he was an amazing man, an amazing coach, and I was just very lucky that I lived so close to him really I do think it's amazing um you know that there are some coaches like that who and and clubs who inspire that kind of Mm. loyalty and that kind of trust. um because again people do stick with the coaches through thick and thin I don't I don't know I don't know if it's a trait that's unique to judo but you do often hear about other sports where people are chopping and changing coaches. Yeah, and, it's very, tr- um, very I think, true. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right. I think it, judo is a sport that is very respectful, isn't it? And I think yeah. you always have respect for like your coach, for people that are older than you, more experienced than you. You have that respect. And not as a hierarchy system, it doesn't kind of that doesn't happen so much in this country. Like if you go somewhere like Japan, like you know, there it's like the hierarchy system is is really set in place. But like. I think maybe, I think you're right. As a sport, we do tend to be a lot a lot more loyal. I think there will obviously be other sports as well that are loyal, but I, I hear the same. Like a lot of athletics, they chop and change coaches. They move players all the time, and for me, I've always found that yeah, I found it strange. But um, yeah. So um, talk to us about some of the the highlights of your career, whether it's results or. Experiences. So I think one of my biggest highlights so far is was become, like becoming Commonwealth champion in 2014. That was a oh, it was a very very special day for me. I think it was a turning point in my confidence in myself as an athlete. And even though for judo we know the Commonwealth isn't isn't the strongest of competitions, I had quite a, like, quite a strong day into the people that I fought, and also I fought. Sally Conway in the semi-final who I'd lost to like, endless times before <laughs> I, I lose count of how many times I'd lost her before that point and that was the first time but actually still to today the only time that I've beaten her and it was just a, it was a massive turning point for me that that I could beat her I think it become in mind a little bit of a I don't know what word you got a bit of a lock you kind of think, oh, am I ever, ever going to be able to to beat this person? And you just think, and then that day, I just, I don't know what it was. It was like, it got to the end to go on the score. I was just like, I'm not, lo- I just like, I was like, I'm not losing this. I, was, you know, you have that feeling in your stomach. I was just like, I have to win this, like more than I've ever felt for anything before. And I think it just made that day much more special and me and Sally are really good friends. It's not nothing against Sally, but she's a, she's a great competitor. And for me on that day to be able to overcome her was a really positive, um, really big positive for me. And it, it helped me 
on my quest kind of trying to qualify to go to Rio because I got more selections from Great Britain. I think they had more belief in me after that. And all of that kind of like a snowball effect, I was really, it felt to me like it was all coming together. Um, and for me, that was the turning point on that day, I think. Why, why do you describe it as a turning point? Because obviously you must have been confident going into the Commonwealth Games. Or, you, yeah, you must to some degree have believed you could win the event. Or what was it? Was there something specifically that changed in terms of your confidence afterwards? I think for, for me, even coming into the Commonwealth, like you said, like I did have confidence in myself. But I'd really felt like the build up to it had been so good. We had like a really good training block. I felt like I had a team around me that really believed in me. And I don't know, it just, you know, when something like all comes together in one day, it was like everything fitted together perfectly. And that was the end result. I was really happy. I'd had really good preparation. It was, yeah, it was, it just all came together on that day. And then I think more so than anything, the confidence came because I had more selections for events. So I think that again gave me more confidence and then I did well in those events. So it was like a snowball kind of like I'm someone who's really realistic. If I'm not performing well, I can't pretend to myself that everything's going great. But because things were getting better and I was fighting better against some of the top girls, it was slowly my confidence was building after like kind of up to the Commonwealth and then kind of past that, it felt like it kind of had a big spike in in confidence I was kind of gaining. So I think... um... The Commonwealth Games. What did it? What What did winning the Commonwealth mean to you? Kind of like following on from that period after London Olympics, because I think it's easy to forget now that you were certainly for a period of that you were in the mix with Gemma and Sally going for that seventy kilo spot, and I, again, I think the culmination of that rivalry between the three of you was initially Gemma's medal and then yeah. Sally's medal. For you, yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah, what did the Commonwealth mean following London? And then again, you kind of talked about the change in your confidence, mm. but was it was it more than that? Was it knowing that again you belonged at that level? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I was clearly the number three in the London kind of coming up into London. But there, like you said, there were points in time where my results were better than than theirs. But then it kind of they pushed ahead. I think maybe being a bit older, a bit more experienced, I don't know what it was, but it was, that was the right decision. I was I was the number three, and obviously I think the rivalry between all of us 100% has pushed us all on. I mean, Gemma and Sally had that that competition from when they were juniors, and that's then pushed them, I think, they're kind of reaping the rewards of it now, and I think that's exactly, I, I feel the same thing. I mean, I've like had quite a bit of time out of injuries and setbacks but I, I know that having that competition and they're in the back of your mind all the time like you need to kind of overcome them or push forward it's like it creates more stress which I think is actually a really good thing it's not nice at the time but it's definitely a massive positive I think the Commonwealth for me showed that I can beat them and I could be I, I could be the best if that makes sense yeah yeah I think with high performance judo it chops and changes all the time who can win particularly in 70 kilos it's a really competitive weight category but I think it was just nice to know that I could because even I was disappointed after London because even though 
yeah, you have to kind of be realistic about where you are. You still have set that goal. You wanted to achieve that goal and I didn't achieve it. And then I'm going to go back to the drawing board again. And the Commonwealth was the next major after that. So I think it was nice to know that I could do that and I could perform at a major event and and be on top of the podium. Mm. Um, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask about the Commonwealth was, was all that tape really necessary? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, if people haven't seen, you had an awful lot of tape. Was it, was it your nose? Oh, Did you break your nose? Or? It was really dramatic. And I even said to Keith, oh. the doctor at the time, I was like, because he was like, I'm going to have to tape around your face. And I was like, you are joking. And he was like, no. And I was like, oh. Basically, I, I cut my nose quite badly and it kept bleeding. And if he had had to come on again because it was bleeding so much, he, I would have forfeited the fight. So the only way that we could guarantee that he wasn't going to be able, like, we're going to have to come back on was to tape around the whole of my head, which <laughs> looks, looks so ridiculous. <laughs> but the worst thing, afterwards, I had a photo from my nephew and one of my brothers. Both of them had taped around their faces. Like, in support oh, for how ridiculous I'd looked. <laughs> <laughs> it did look funny. I love it. But, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you you come out of... Um... Oh, no, that that's what I was going to ask you. Did it matter that in the final you were uh, you beat the New Zealand girl? Um, would you have wanted to face Sally in the final? Would you have preferred that? Or was beating her in the semi-final? Was that enough? <clears throat> That was a very interesting question. I don't... I've never thought about that, actually. Watching watching it on the day, I kind of hoped that you and Sally would be in the final. And, and, and clearly seeing the draw, that, that wasn't uh, going to be no. possible. But I think perhaps before the event, a lot of people would have hoped... That would have been the final. You know, in print, yeah, in every category, it's going to be a home nation's mm. final. Um, and, and really... That could it could have been the final. It's just the way the seeding worked out that like it ended yeah. up. And I remember speaking to my mom, and she was like, "Oh, I see you and Sally are on the same side." And I was like, "Yes, mum, we are." <laughs> <laughs> like you know, when your mum oh. says something, she didn't mean anything by it. And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> "It's just." <laughs> but I think, well, obviously, I think winning that fight in the final would have made it even more special because it had been like yeah. that was the deciding fight of being yeah. the gold medalist but it made me in the final there was like no compromising like I, as a person I'm not super confident but going into that final there was no way I was coming away with silver that's that's how I felt and I think that that fight gave me that confidence I was like because Sally was was the number one seed going in and I was like if I can beat Sal especially with how many times she'd beaten me before I was like this is mine. Like I'm not gonna like mess this up now. After I've done, done what I'd done in the in the semi final, but it, it would have been amazing for us both to have been in the final. Hundred percent. Were you aware of the crowd in that final? Um, not really. It's really weird actually because one of my, one of my students when I was teaching before the Commonwealth, he said to me, he was like, "Oh, Miss, what happens if you embarrass yourself on TV?" And I hadn't even thought about that. I hadn't even like crossed my mind. And he said it to me. And in the run up to it, I was like, oh my God, what happens if something bad happens? And then I ended up having my face taped up. So it was a little bit embarrassing. But he, like, 
you just forget about it, don't you? You know, don't even like notice the crowd or any of it. It's just, I don't know, blank. How about afterwards then? How about um, after you'd been given the win and were you aware of the crowd then? Or are you lost in the bubble? I, I was lost in the bubble. I think, yeah, I was completely lost in it. I think I noticed it more when we got our medals. I know I noticed then, but I think at the time you're just, I don't know, it's just like you're in, it's like you're on the mat and you can't really see anybody else. I don't know, it's weird. Like I just saw Luke, the, who's coaching me, Luke Preston, and I don't know, it was like, yeah, you're, that's the right word to describe it. It's like a bubble. Just, yeah. Cool. So coming out of the Commie mm-hmm. Games, you, you talked about um, feeling really confident and how that kind of fed into your next few performances. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're into the Olympic qualification of the Rio cycle then. And I think you, you ended up missing out on Rio. Um, but I think you had quite a few health problems on the, the run-in. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um everyone gets injured don't they at some points in time or something goes wrong <laughs> but um kind of in the run-up to Rio I, I don't the thing is I don't know if it would have changed the way things went Sally was still the number one and was the clear number one and I don't actually know if I could have caught up with her if I'm perfectly honest but for me my goal was to see how far I could get at that point in time and I think with the confidence I was building and I was starting to get placed at the Grand Prix, like fifths and sevenths and sevenths at the Grand Slams. It's kind of like I just need to string those wins together to kind of try and get get the medals. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was very aware that like I had a lot of catching up to do, and I kind of was really getting myself really stressed about about the qualification. And it was about March time. Um, I injured my back, and we weren't really sure what it it was at first I had lots of scans and they thought maybe it was a stress fracture um obviously we're trained we're, we're aware a lot we put a lot of stress on our bodies and they thought that that's what it was at first but um they then were like oh we just want to double check that it's not this particular condition and I was like okay um, my strength and conditioning coach Luke was with me the whole time he was like Megas don't worry like it's definitely not going to be this it was a type of arthritis and I mean he's like it's, it's not going to be that don't like don't stress but they just said I'd do some blood tests and check and did some more scans and actually, when the results came back, they were like, you actually have this rheumatoid arthritis in your spine. And it was, um, I'd kind of convinced myself, because Luke had been so sure that it wasn't going to be this. It's like a really rare <laughs> type of arthritis. I was like, no, it's going to be fine. Like, it's probably just a stress, stress fracture. We'll have a little bit of time out and it'll be be fine. And even though, even when I, I knew when I was hurt and how, how bad my back was, like, I could hardly like walk really. It was that bad. And I don't know whether it was the stress that induced it to be worse because I was like so stressed about trying to qualify because I was obviously chasing Sally and I knew I needed to get the medals to to qualify. But um, yeah, so it kind of went from me trying to catch up with Sally to then being told that I had this type of arthritis. And around the same time, I was also diagnosed with having celiac disease. So I'm allergic to gluten. <laughs> so it was kind of, something was maybe wrong with my immune system I'm not sure really but both of them are immune responses in your body and so I had to make the change of my diet and then also I had to face a kind of question that the rheumatologist said to me it was like you might not be able to do judo anymore he's like normally we suggest that you don't do contact sport with this type of arthritis 
it's basically your your spine starts to fuse together and mine's starting to fuse right at the bottom of my spine and it was kind of this whole kind of shock like I might not actually even be able to do this sport anymore and like I started felt like I was kind of building building really into it and it just felt like everything got like cut off and it was like it was like it happens to anyone if anyone's been injured before like a major event or anything like or people have had injuries that have stopped them from doing judo like it's like your whole world comes crashing down and I was just very lucky that I had a team around me of people that kind of were like no we're gonna try and get you back and I kind of had to make the decision if I wanted to try or not and I decided that that's what I wanted to do so I was just very lucky that I had a really good physio who actually specializes with this type of arthritis in the clinic in Bath ironically right? Okay. like I don't even know how that like how I was that lucky that he, he like the chances of that happening are so small and I had such an amazing strength and conditioning coach and he spent days with me in the gym just doing core stability and basically we've we've managed it like the rheumatologist is amazed of how like how far we came when I first kind of saw him like about like seven months afterwards and there's nothing we can do to change it like hopefully it won't be a quick process because sometimes people's whole spines fuse together but hopefully that won't happen (laughs) but they they there's no guarantee the way of what will happen with it um so yeah so how wow how how long does it take to adapt to that then how long did it take for before you were or how long did it take before you decided to come back to judo and then how long did it actually take you to get back into judo um i think i've had about maybe like three weeks like basically when my coach jürgen in bath he sat me down that was when my back was really bad and we found out really what it was he sat me down and was like meg's like this is even though I knew it was over, it was this kind of conversation of like, this is done, this cycle is done, and we need to accept that. And then from that moment, I got like really sick, like in terms of like just fluey. I think, you know, like when you're like, everything's been working up to this point and actually you finally realize it's not going to happen. And so I kind of, I went home for a couple of weeks just because I was poorly and I didn't really want to be at judo. Um, but after like three three weeks, I I just I just knew I wasn't done, and I wanted to at least try. If I couldn't if I couldn't get back and my back was too painful, and at least I tried. I would never want to think, oh, why did I not bother? Especially because I felt like I there's still things I wanted to try to achieve in the sport, and um, so I kind of made a decision. I I didn't want to go anywhere near a judo mat to start off with I was just like I just went to the gym did my stuff because the thing was, it wasn't even just for judo like I could hardly really walk properly like I, it was so painful so we needed to kind of like work on my core a lot I took a lot that has special anti-inflammatories from the doctor and basically tried to settle it all down first of all and then probably yeah like about a month five weeks we were like right we want to actually do this properly and I had a whole plan for like about it took me about seven months I think it was seven months to get back on the mat oh, wow. um yeah like properly like so it really that the rehab really in terms of like long-term injuries wasn't really that bad when you think about like an ACL it's like eight to nine months ish and so yeah it was um 
we just did a lot a lot of work. I was just very lucky that I had a team that supported me so much in Bath. If it was without them, I wouldn't have got back because I wasn't I was in a bad place. And yeah, so we're back. <laughs> we're we're back. <laughs> you're back. You're back, and you're fighting again. Um, yes. Obviously, there've been. Uh, a few other big changes. I think <laughs> yes. we've seen that a few, there's been several athletes now who have changed, I guess, kind of nationality to who they're representing. Mm-hmm. And I think you were kind of the first, certainly of this modern group. I'm saying, I'm talking about modern group. Um, <laughs> and there have been a couple of individuals I can think of in the past. Mm. Um, Chris, who's the other contributor to the show, was talking about Sam Dunkley, um, yeah. representing Ireland. 10 years ago 15 years ago mm. um i wanted to say uh, yeah yeah you're obviously representing ireland now mm-hmm. what went into the thought process behind switching nationalities so it kind of uh the, the national center in warsaw was going to be completely up and running after after rio and for the whole cycle it had been said that after rio everyone had to move and there was going to be no compromise. Not everyone kind of always hopes that maybe there might be a little bit of leeway, you know, people that have been training in centres for like a long time. But they needed to do what they needed to do. And I think they, they stuck to their plan very well that they said that if you wanted to be involved with the programme, you needed to be based in Warsaw. And for me, I think mainly around the support I had getting me back from hurting my back, I didn't want to leave the team that I had in Bath. I had complete confidence in them that they were who I wanted to do these last few years of my judo career with. So the option for me to move to Warsaw was there wasn't one. It wasn't a choice that I really wanted to make. And it would have meant that I'd have gone from being the number two to being the number five because they had um, Sally, obviously, was the number one. Then there was Jemima Yates-Brown. Ebony um, was also training there. And then Gemma Howe moved up from 63 to 70 so like I was going to go from being the number two to number five and my mum and dad actually were the ones that we were sat, sat down having dinner and they kind of said to me I'd kind of been thinking like what am I going to do the option to self-fund was going to be there but I knew how difficult it was going to be trying to even get competitions abroad with that many people in 70 kilos it wasn't yeah that like we said before competition is really good but if I'm really really based at the center and then there was going to be four people ahead of me for selections. The likelihood of me being able to go to any is, is pretty small. So they were the ones that said to me, they were like, you you need to think of like another option. Like realistically, if you want to give this a proper go, you're not going to be able to do that from Buff, really. And um, like Ben was in a little bit of a different situation because he was the number one. And even though he could self-fund to go to events, which is hard in itself having to self-fund to go, there was only him and Phil really that were going to be going away to the Grand Prix so he's never going to have the problem of being able to go to events right so they kind of said to me and I was like right okay and they were like you know do you think it's worth getting in contact with Kieran the Irish coach and saying like is there any possibility of, of you maybe changing over to fight for Ireland so I was like right okay I'll have a think about it and I emailed Kieran because I needed to find out really if they, if they wanted me so I um got in contact with Kieran and um he said to me, you know, like, we would love to have you, but obviously everything needs to be above board and done in a way that's that, there's, that doesn't ruin the relationship between GB and, and Ireland. It, it wasn't that I didn't still love fighting for GB. It was more the fact that 
that option wasn't going to work for me anymore. And also the opportunity to be able to represent my mum's heritage was also an amazing opportunity and something that I am so proud of doing now. And it, it was like I spoke to spoke to Kira and he said they'd love to have me and then we started the process really. I had to speak to, to Nigel and, and ask him and explain why I wanted to leave. And I just I spoke I was just very honest about everything. I said like this has been the situation with me for the last eight months. I, I want to give my best self the best chance I have to be able to qualify and I and at the time I was still teaching. So my job's here as well. So I was I just said these this is the reasons why and would it would you please release me basically and that everything was very amicable they wished me the best said thank you for everything I'd done for British judo there was there was no and if I see them at events now everything's fine there was they understood I think the reasons why it wasn't just a simple yeah I can up my life and move it was there was a lot of reasons why I wanted to stay in Bath and I was very lucky that they understood and also that I had the, the option to be able to to follow my mum to represent to represent Ireland. So with the gift of hindsight, mm-hmm. do you, I mean, had you considered switching sooner or do you wish you'd considered switching? To be honest, like, we, we hadn't thought about it really I think until you're faced with a reason a re- real reason to then obviously we, we knew that like we were half Irish that the option there probably was an option but there was never for me that was the right time there was no time before that where I thought I want to change and move it was more the fact that yeah it, that was the right time and I was just lucky that that also Kieran wanted us they, they, he wanted me to, to join the Irish team and it, it's been such a good good move and I'm, I'm really really happy with that decision but there was there's not really a there was never really a thought about it before before that that point in time if that makes sense okay uh, representing Ireland now like has that has it changed your approach to judo? Is it? Um, you've you've talked about being not being a teacher anymore. So I, obviously, I know you're a qualified teacher, mm-hmm. and you were working. Has that been part of this decision to give yourself the the, the best opportunity to qualify? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I was spreading myself too thinly trying to do to do both, and I'm lucky enough at the moment that I can just train. I was lucky to get the um, Olympic Solidarity Grant where I get kind of like a, a wage every month, um, which is incredible. And it's amazing to have that support from the IOC. And then also the support from Ireland as well, in terms of my competitions, it's meant that I can actually do this properly and how I want to do it. And um, yeah, it's just, it's lovely being able to just train and not have to run and teach my year 10s that don't want a trophy. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is that something you're going to go back to afterwards? When I, think so. I think so. I think so. I do really enjoy it. Um, and it's definitely one of the options for me, like my finished judo. Um, there's always a possibility of taking over mum and dad's business as well. Uh, in a garden centre. So that's all, that's, it's also something that I, I love doing. I'm, I'm very lucky that I've got lots of things I, I like to do. So 
um, teaching is definitely definitely on the cards. I think. Cool. You and your your four brothers now. Yeah. Over the, over the we'll be sharing out the days. <laughs> <laughs> um, like kind of in in that regard though, is it? Does it take a bit of pressure away from you having? Not something to fall back on, having that qualification already there for when you finish. Hundred, hundred percent. Because you do see a lot of athletes who go solely mm. judo, and towards the end of their careers, it, you, yeah, I don't know, it becomes a really conscious decision that they're in a rush to get to find something. The next thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was, I was always really adamant that I needed to have something else, and even at times, maybe I could have gone part time with my studying. Or not decided to do my teaching qualification when I did it. There was always, I don't know, I, I always felt like I needed to have like another identity for myself as well. Like it wasn't just Megan, oh, she does judo. It's like there was something else that I could succeed in. I felt was like really important and, and I I really wanted to get a degree. Um, I think when I realised that I kind of I wanted to come train to Bath and that getting a degree was going to be an option for me with, with my A-levels. I was like, I really, I really wanted to achieve that. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's important to have something else. Like we know that judo can, could be over within one day, really. So like if you have a really bad accident and you can't ever do it again, then, then what? If, if you, if that's all you identify yourself with, I think that that can be really dangerous and, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go and get a degree. Not everybody likes studying in that way. It could be that, as I don't know, that someone has a musical instrument, that they're amazing at that, or they like painting, or it could be anything. But I think having something else outside of whatever that is, whether that's your education or another hobby, I think is really important. Um, and I think has, has saved me, actually. Like when I, with everything that happened with my back, I did supply teaching and I was in a completely different world. And it helped massively to kind of like realise that actually judo, as important as it is to all of us, is a sport. And you see this whole other world <laughs> that is going on at the same time. You end up in a bubble, don't you? And and as much as we love being in that bubble, the reality is that we're not going to be in that forever. And I think it's very important. Cool. Something you touched on there, you mentioned the what, the IOC grant, the Olympic Solidarity mm-hmm. Grant. Um, how did you go about getting that? So I was very, I just I was very lucky. So when I changed over to Fight for Ireland, um, the applications needed to be in. And my friend Sandra Segedi, she went to the Olympics for Ghana in Rio. She said to me because she had the grant when she was in the run up to Rio, and she said to me, "Oh, Megan, make sure you try and get your applications in." And also Kieran knew about it as well so we applied and it goes to a certain amount of athletes from small nations to give them a little bit of extra support on their quest to go to olympic games and yeah i was very lucky that i i was one of the athletes that got chosen for it and it just kind of was like perfect timing really you know just luck that it happened to be when i changed over to fight for ireland and i get application in so they support you all the way up all the way up to the olympics for the three years coming into it so it's yeah it's incredible and it's been such a big help with me to be able to not have to worry about paying my rent every month I can that covers it so yeah it's it's perfect is it um is it Sandra who's um 
doing that really amazing project yeah it is it is she's she said up it's yeah incredible really really yeah i've seen the there's a there's a video flying around at the moment Mm. um that yeah again it just looks fantastic the the work she's doing over there and the waist and judo yeah um it looks amazing amazing project i think it's something she'd wanted to do for a while and just wasn't sure if it was going to be able to happen or not and um yeah so her and her boyfriend they're, they're moving over and they're setting it all up so it's new adventure for her which would be really exciting and yeah bringing judo cool. to jamaica awesome. <laughs> um Right, so last question before we get on to my, I guess, standard things <laughs> I ask people. Um, you're 37th in the world at the moment. Yes. What's it going to take for you to reach, yeah, that world top 20 going to see in Olympic qualification? Well, I think I, I finally feel like I'm back to where I was before I hurt my back. And it's, I think it's just pushing forward now. I think we've got a, I've got a really great training program coming up. We're going off to Grado Springs for three weeks of altitude training and then heading to Japan for three weeks, kind of in preparation for the World Championships and for some of the Grand Prix and Grand Slams at the end of the year. And I think it's just, it's like I spoke about before, it's taken me a little bit of time to get my confidence back to be where I needed to be. And kind of the European Championships in the last few Grand Prix in Georgia and Turkey, I feel have given me that confidence. They were my first ones where I, I felt like I could contend with top girls and beat some of them. It's now kind of, like I said before, like stringing those wins together all on one day to, to get the medals. Um, I'm, I'm feeling very confident going into qualification. And I'm yeah, very excited this time round. Mm. Ah, well, it's, yeah, it's going to be really exciting for it's just everyone knows it ramps up for the next two years, mm. but it must be great to be a part of it again. Yeah. And so, best of luck. Thank you very, very much. Um, I definitely feel a lot more equipped to deal with it this time around. Because you're more confident, or because you understand, I don't know, your 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 body better. Maybe I think or? everything. I think you you I just, you kind of until you experience an Olympic cycle, you'll you'll know this. Until you experience it, you don't really know the stress of it or how much of an effect it has on your body and all those all those things that come into it. I really feel like Rio was the one that I've really had a good shot at trying to, to qualify and now I feel like I can take that experience into this one. Um yeah that and I just cool. yeah I feel very excited to get get going really. Cool. Yeah. Um right, so I'm gonna fire <laughs> you um some of my standard questions i've got two new ones they may or may not be terrible um <laughs> so i hope they're not too bad um first thing like i do i do like to get uh, a sense of what everyone thinks is their best performance then also something else that they think like really epitomizes judo um so could you talk me through two fights one that is you really think sums up um the best of megan fletcher on the mat and then another one that you think you know really yeah epitomizes what, what judo okay. is okay so i think i'm gonna go with my best best fight is gonna be the commonwealth semi-final with sally just because i know it is a long time ago and i'm i'm sure that i'll have some some brilliant fights coming up <laughs> i'm sure but for me i think that just went to show like grit and determination can pull through even after so many times of losing someone, eventually, like you can overcome from that person, even if it's just on that one day. Um, 
so for me that was my my highlight fight and then for judo in general well it's a tough question isn't it <laughs> do you watch a lot of judo yeah i, I do I, I i do actually um oof. so there was an absolutely insane fight this year in dusseldorf for the bronze medal in 73s and it was the mongolian gambatar against the armenian but i can't remember his name he's just won the europeans and it was a ridiculous fight that went into golden score. And the referee was amazing. Didn't give Shido's when he could have possibly given them because the fight, I think they both had two Shido's in golden score. And it was just like, you know, when the whole crowd is like shouting at the referee not to give a Shido or like everyone in the stadium was just like engrossed in it. It was like such a fantastic fight. So if anyone hasn't seen that, I would definitely recommend watching it. It is absolutely incredible judo. Awesome. And um, no one will ever know that we've cut this back in and just spent 15 minutes in, in <laughs> silence trying to remember what bite it was. And trying um, to remember what Grand Prix I was at when I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> um, brilliant. I will. It's not a fight that I've seen, so I will, I'll definitely go away and look it up. And I'll try and put them all up on, uh, on the website, so I will, I'll try and get both of those fights up. <clears throat> um, yeah, so one of my new questions I want to ask people is, who are your favourite rivals to, to come up against? Good question. Um, oh, there's oh, there's so many. Like, I don't know, 70s is such a, a I don't know, like a, the depth in 70s I feel is is really is strong at the moment. But I think my oh, favourite people to fight, I really fight, like fighting Yang, the Moroccan. Okay. Because she is so aggressive and so explosive but if you like weather the storm then you're you, like you really feel like you've achieved something when you throw her yeah. like this is like it's yeah she's yeah really really strong competitor and i always always like having some really like tough fights with her um but also like i like fighting arai so she's number one in our way at the moment but it's always such a a good fight against japanese like such nice judo and again when you when you catch someone, you throw them, and you always feel like, oh, yeah, it's like a real kind of. It's a great, great feeling, isn't it, when you catch when you catch someone that's like that good. So yeah, I think those two probably at the moment, I'd awesome. say. Um, yes. and then my other, <laughs> my other ridiculous uh, new question is, what is stolen uh, straight from uh, Richard Heron podcast? Um, what is the most beautiful thing? <laughs> Um, that you've destroyed (laughs) okay so anyone that knows me will know that I destroy stuff on a regular (laughs) basis like unintentionally like one of the most clumsiest people (laughs) in the world Um, so this list could be endless Um, but I think one of the most recent things I destroyed that was I thought was beautiful so I recently I moved in with my boyfriend he brought a flat lovely new flat so is this white is this white a confession walls. first he's not <laughs> no no he knows there was no way <laughs> i could get away with it yeah so basically i was in japan like a month and he got a flat while i was in japan so when i came back he'd like done loads of stuff in the flat like we brought a bed before so he built the bed all this stuff and <laughs> i was oh got the carpet laid new carpet laid in the bedroom like so everything is brand spanking new beautiful like I've come back it's so nice you know like our first flat we're living in together 
and I'd put coffees like on the windowsill and where we didn't have curtains we had like a big piece of cardboard <laughs> anyway I've gone to walk out the room cardboard has fallen forward it's gone all over the wall the carpet the bed the new duvet and pillows and the new bed sheets it literally destroyed everything the coffee the oh, coffee no. did everywhere <laughs> so the wall I'm sat in the bedroom at the moment the wall was still got we need to still paint a little bit we washed it we need to paint underneath there the carpet is stained and yeah the duvet cover is also stained and a little bit of the mattress how well was that received in oh he's so good with me he's so patient <laughs> but for, for me it was, it was beautiful you know like it was our first room and i just destroyed it with one cup of mug like one mug of coffee <laughs> destroyed in seconds amazing um so that is a brilliant yeah. answer i might i might keep that one in i might definitely keep that question in because that was a brilliant answer. Okay. <laughs> Literally, it was the first thing that came to my mind. When you said earlier, I was like, oh, my God, I know exactly what it is. <laughs> also, the first time I went round to his dad's house and his stepmom's, I dropped chicken tikka on their carpet. <laughs> it fell out of my hands on their cream carpet, James. Destroyed it. And, like, <laughs> it's so bad. And they had to get rid of the carpet. They've got wooden oh floor God. now. They've got wooden floor <laughs> right. now. It was bright orange. Amazing. <laughs> I feel like you could go on forever with this question. I could. So you, you can put both those in if you want, but <laughs> yeah, it's endless. <laughs> um, brilliant. Right. Um, last one, and then I'll, I'll uh, let you go. Um, if there was a young athlete who wanted to kind of emulate you and achieve what you've achieved, um, what would be the best bit of advice you, that you'd pass on? Uh, I think... The most important thing I've found in my career is to make sure that you're enjoying yourself because I feel like the best results I've had have been when I'm at my happiest. And even though times are hard with judo and with injuries, it's a contact sport, it's going to happen. If you can find something else in your life to identify yourself with, that would be a huge help, whether that's with your studies or another hobby. I think it's really important to make sure that you're happy as a whole person, not just as in your whole whole person I think is my one piece of advice that I would give awesome look thanks so much for coming on it's been brilliant I've really enjoyed it um if people want to follow you on social media if they want to find out about more about your running to the Olympics yeah I am I'm on Facebook Instagram Twitter the usuals I'm on there the usuals uh, <laughs> is it no worries just search for Megan Fletcher yep or... Just search Megan Fletcher and I've come up. Fantastic. Um, yeah, once again, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, what I'd like to do uh, in like six months, a year's time is like just maybe have a five minute catch up to, to stick on the podcast. I'd love it if you come back on. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'd, I'd love to. Fantastic. Thanks, Megan. You take care and best of luck. Thank you. Bye. Thanks to Megan for coming on. I hope everybody enjoyed the interview. I will try and get another episode out this week. I've got a few to edit, including a couple with Chris and one with Sophie Cox coming up. Um, In case I don't get it out soon, though, uh, Sophie does have a summer camp coming up, female fighter summer camp coming up at the end of August. It's at Kendall, and if you're interested, please go check out their Facebook page for more details. It looks like a lot of fun and if you want to develop as an athlete it'd be a great opportunity um 
go leave a review somewhere, share it on Facebook, and if you are lucky, I just might get a second episode out this week. Catch you soon.